0: If you don't know me, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. Um, Before we get started, why don't we just take a moment and pray. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you've gathered us by your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've gathered us to hear the gospel, that you've gathered us to proclaim the gospel to one another, that you've gathered us to just saturate with the gospel and the knowledge of your glory and to give us joy that would uh, spill out of us even from this place and and through our week to those who do not know you. Um, We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, opening the eyes of our hearts so that we would know and comprehend the love that you have for us and that you've proven to us through Jesus. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be at work this morning that everything that we sing, that everything that it's said, um, and as I preach, and as we go forward with this service, that you would say what you would have said, and that you would have us hear what you would have each one of us hear, knowing, God, that that's all that we need, that's all that we should desire, I pray that you take away my words and take away anything that any of us would say that's not from you, God, and that you would uh, just stir our hearts' affections for you and stir our allegiance towards you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anybody have any problems with authority? One of you. The rest of you are like, don't ask me questions, right? Uh, I have a tendency. Maybe you have a tendency to kind of bucket authority, bucket uh, no matter how sound it may be. No matter how good you know the person is that's in authority uh, or exerting authority, you just tend to buck it a little bit. That's that's probably me. Um, and I guess the question is, how does that usually actually work out for you, right? And and as I was thinking about this, uh, the scripture this week, and thinking about today, and thinking about authority uh, and the issues with authority, I was thinking about myself especially when I was growing up. I had a tendency to really talk back to my mom. I have a really smart mouth. Uh, I still do. I'm very sarcastic. I'm, uh, it's awful. But anyways, so uh, I just started thinking back is like, I always was back talking to my mom. I always had something to say. I was always bucking everything that she said to me. And there was m- very many times when, like, I would be just, you know, letting loose at the mouth and my mom would just slap me right in the teeth. Like, in the middle of nowhere, like, that's the only way she could shut me up and I don't blame her it actually worked you know she needed to uh, I blamed her at the time I didn't like it but there's nothing more humiliating than have your mom slap you in the teeth uh, there was also this other time that came to mind where we were riding down uh, Wrightsboro Road it was next to St. Joseph's uh, hospital or Trinity Hospital now on Wrightsboro Road if you're familiar with the area and we were in like some huge argument I was I was back talking her. I know I was wrong You'll you understand why I know why I was wrong. Uh, we're we're riding down the road there, getting a huge argument. My mom just has enough, right? And she pulls the car over on like Winter Street, which is right near the hospital. And she just kicks me out of the car. I'm probably 14 years old, <laughs> right? Kicks me out of the car and is like, "You got to walk home." We lived by like Target over there on off Skinner Road, or by Warren Road Elementary, that area in between those two. And so 14 years old, about there, and I walked home from. St. Joseph's Hospital to Target. I had a very long time to think about who was the authority and who was wrong in that situation. Anyways, so today we're talking about our issues with authority uh, as we look at this verse. And maybe that's not even what would jump out with us, but uh, this morning we're going to pick up in Matthew 7:28, which is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually the Sermon on the Mount is concluded and Matthew begins to take us into the next, uh, the next passage, the next section of the book, I guess. And uh, we're going to take a look at Matthew 7:28 through chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, which, which David just read. And it's a, it's a fairly long passage. Some good information, I know, if you haven't been around for the last two weeks, or if maybe you're new, if you're a guest, is uh, that we've been going through the book of Matthew for quite some time. We spent a long time doing the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through uh, 7. We spent a long time there. And then we took a three-week break just this last month to talk about the purpose, vision, And mission of Redemption Church. Uh, And so we're coming back today and we're just picking up where we left off in Matthew 7, 28 and going through 8, uh, 17. So uh, if you want to catch up on any of those messages, if you kind of, if today doesn't jive because there's some things we're going to tie back to the Sermon on the Mount, you can catch up on that stuff. It's online, redemptionchurchga.com. Our messages are posted there. You can find out about the purpose, vision, and mission of Redemption Church. You can always check out any sermons there. Anyways. That's beside the point. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus issues two options, either to build a house on the rock or to build a house on the sand. And he says that the wise man builds his house on the rock because it will stand when storms come. And he says that to build a life built on the rock is really just to build a life built on these words of his. That's basically what he says in the last verse there. Build on these words of mine. In other words, the whole Sermon on the Mount, right? Right? Uh, He's just proclaimed through the Sermon on the Mount the way uh, to live a life that's built on the rock. And it essentially means following him, and we talk about this a lot during that that last bit of the sermon series, uh, is essentially to uh, submit all of life to his empowering work and presence and to coming to the end of ourselves and wholly leaning into and on Jesus. So in this passage that we're about uh, to move into, and in this, we're starting a five-week series. You can see it's on the front of your bulletin. There's a new name. It's called a leader worth following. We see Jesus move from a proclamation through the word on the Sermon on the Mount that he is the leader worth following uh, into a proclamation through deed that he's the leader worth following. And he takes those following him down the mountain, and hands start getting dirty, and he leads them into practically building all of life on the rock, on his words, on him. So over these next five weeks in the series, we're going to begin to see Jesus as a leader worth following, not just because he said so in the Sermon on the Mount, but because everything he said gets very real. Um, it starts forcing us to deal with how he goes about confronting the world. He starts setting himself up against it as the better way and leading us to choose whether we'll follow him, or whether we'll follow something else, whether we'll follow ourself, what authority we're going to follow. So D.A. Carson wrote that... Uh, concerning this particular decision of who will follow. Our allegiance is still warped but exaggerated by exaggerated estimates of our own spiritual insight and wisdom of the world that we think. Our allegiance is still warped by exaggerated estimates of our spiritual insight and wisdom of the world than we think. So restated, uh, we Christians actually think that we are far better behaved, more in line with God, more in tune with the Holy Spirit, and more like Jesus than we actually are, when the truth is that the world has far more influence on our lives than we realize, Uh, and in many areas of our life, we ignorantly follow the way of the world because we assume that we follow Jesus enough already, we assume that we're following Jesus because we haven't, because we have a very high idea of how great we actually are. So during this series, we'll address a few particular areas where Jesus seems to confront the world hands-on uh, and forces the issue deeper still in choosing who we're going to follow. So the first area we'll see Jesus confront the world is in this passage in uh, 8, 1 through 17 is uh, in the area of authority. If we take a look at Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29, we can see that Matthew draws our attention to the, issues of, to the issue of authority right away. Following his account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So we might ask what he meant by he taught as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I don't think that Matthew says this on accident. I think that this mention of authority is pretty directly addressed as we go into this next passage as he shows us how jesus demonstrated his authority as he came off the mountain in these first 17 verses and actually he demonstrates this authority through the next well from here on out right but it's really pretty heavily in these next couple chapters 8 through 10. but initial reading of that last ver- that last couple verses in, in seven could say i think could send us away with the wrong impression we could read the verse in chapter 7 and um, say man that They could be saying, he taught with more authority than the scribes, meaning, man, he's a good preacher, right? Or like, he has charisma, or he really was able to to bring it. That'll preach. Straight fire. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But the mention of authority there wasn't a reference to how good of a communicator he was. Believe it. Jesus was the best communicator ever. Ever. Like, to believe anything less is silly. We're still communicating what he communicated now. He was a great communicator. What he said stuck. But this mention of authority wasn't a reference to how good of a communicator he was or what sort of passion he spoke with. It was a recognition that he spoke from a different center than the scribes. Uh, What we will see very quickly as we move into this is that Jesus goes down the mountain and starts confronting worldly authority and reveals that the fallen world has a massive authority issue. And I think that's why I just... Asked at the beginning, do you have any problems with authority? Do you have a tendency to buck with authority no matter how sound it is? Because we, we can probably mostly, most of us can relate to that in some way. We have a massive authority issue. So in chapter 8, 1 through 17, it's broken down into basically three episodes as we just read, as David just read for us. And to be honest, each one of them has a whole lot, and we could spend at least a week on each episode and, and really unpack it. So I really want to encourage you over this week to go back and actually practice studying the Bible with this passage. You can dig into each one of these episodes a little bit more than we're able to this morning, and uh, I just so I just really encourage you to do that. But the three episodes are this. Jesus is healing heals a leper, the leprous man, Jesus healing the centurion's servant, and Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. So let's take a look at the first episode. This is chapter 8, 1 through 4, if you want to follow along. If you don't know where Matthew is, if you're new uh, and not familiar with the Bible, Matthew is the first book in the Old Testament. So, oh, yeah, the New Testament. <laughs> I don't know much about the Bible. so. Uh, anyways, yeah, the New Testament. So try to find the break between the, the Old and the New, and you'll find Matthew. It's the first book. Verse uh, Chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So the first thing we see is that Jesus came down the mountain with a great crowd following him. Like there's lots of people coming with him and the leprous man comes to him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, I will be clean. And I think it would just be a mistake again to understand this language as like just mere pleasantries. I don't know. I feel like that's a a mistake we could easily make. First of all, this isn't exactly like Jesus just happened upon this man, this leprous man, right? Uh, To come to Jesus. The, the, leper, the leper's man would have had to come and navigate his way to Jesus through the crowds without touching anybody because the laws would say he can't touch anybody because he'll make them unclean. Uh, and so he has to make his way to Jesus through the crowds uh, without touching anybody. It's not like Jesus just came across him. He had to come to him. And this is, it's a spectacle, you know, it's a big deal. This, it had to be quite noticeable. And then he gets to Jesus and he drops to his knees and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And just understand that statement to be like, if you desire to, you can make me clean. Or if you, it's not, if you don't mind, you can make me clean, right? Does that make sense? It's if you desire to, if you will, then you can do it. Uh, if you desire to clean me, it, it will be done. And instead of just willing or commanding the leper to be clean, this is so huge. Jesus reaches out and touches the man and says, I will. This action that Jesus takes is just clearly and directly confronting the authority of the world with his own authority by reaching out and touching the leprous man. By saying, I will, he heals the man by his own power and his own will. That's, that's huge, and this is a very provocative thing. Jesus just touched the untouchable, and made him clean. He made him touchable. Jesus reached out and healed him and made the untouchable touchable. That's big. It's probably the first time this leper's man had been touching quite a while, if you think about it, because he's not allowed to touch anybody. And nobody's allowed to touch him. And here's what happened. Jesus, and the authority of the world that he's confronting, would say, if you touch this man, you'll get sick but then Jesus touches him and not only doesn't get sick, but the man gets clean, gets unsick, and he's healed. I think we have to press pause just for a moment then and ask just a couple questions of ourselves. You may remember from the Beatitudes, if you were following along with the Sermon on the Mount series, uh, that in Matthew 5, that's in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, how we talked about how Jesus was challenging the ideas of the religious authorities Uh, of of who was in on the kingdom and who was out by saying who was in on the kingdom jesus was challenging everything about what the religious uh, authorities of the day would say who was out who was in and who was out and here we see him in action confront the same issues with authority by reaching across boundaries and limitations that would say you can't touch him he's an outsider he can't come in and he reaches across the boundaries and limitations and actually touches the man and makes him an insider the question is then, does the authority of Jesus challenge us to reach beyond our boundaries and limitations that we think exist? What are those boundaries and limitations for you? Socioeconomic barriers, racial barriers, age barriers? Maybe we don't think that these barriers exist in our life. or. But how has Jesus freed you to actually physically reach across boundaries that are there? you have to get a little bit honest and say there's places I'm not reaching into because there's a limit there's a boundary how does jesus free you to actually physically reach across those boundaries how does his authority change what you think is you're able to do how are you actually experiencing those boundaries being bridged i actually know of stories in our church right where this is actually happening there's there's things to celebrate there's stories to celebrate but i want to call us to listen just deeper still to the authority of Christ. He's made us a people out of those who once could not be a people, right? And he's drawing people in from the outside. We once were outsiders and he brought us in and now he's reaching across limits and boundaries through us, would would even call us to reach across limits and boundaries to bring outsiders in. So let's keep moving on and look at the second episode in this passage in Matthew 8, 5, 13. Like I said, there's a whole lot more there. Uh, there's, you could go through each of these episodes and really get a lot, a lot to each one but we would be here all day uh, and what I really want us to focus on is this, this issue of authority so let's keep moving on and look at the second episode in this passage of Matthew 8, 5-13 when he had encountered Capernaum a centurion came forward to him appealing to him Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home suffering terribly and he said to him I will come and heal him Many, come, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. That's bizarre, Really? As Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking that Jesus heal his servant. But what really stands out in the story and what Jesus marvels at was the faith that the centurion soldier exhibited in his recognition and confidence in the authority that Jesus had. Who would believe that somebody could heal a person even by going and touching them? I mean, that's a lot to believe, honestly. We don't see that a lot. But who would go further than that and say that somebody could just command, just issue a command and, and heal somebody from a distance without ever going. That's insane. It's beyond human reason, isn't it? Yet the centurion reasoned from a human perspective that while this was beyond his own limitations, it was entirely plausible that a, a greater authority than his own was at play and could be trusted. And the centurion explains himself saying, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. This is in Matthew 8, 9. I too am a man of, under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, this, this centurion, this man knows that when he issues a command to a subordinate officer, uh, it carries with it the, rate, the weight of Roman rule. It's not like he's just saying it. Rome's saying it, and you, you, want, you don't want to go against Rome. That's crazy, right? So he knows that when he issues a command, it's really coming from Roman rule. So he, he can issue an order with confidence that it will be completed whether he's there or not because once he says it, it should, it's just done because of the weight that, that it comes from. And from this perspe- perspective, he has faith that Jesus can just but issue an order right? Trusting that he operates from a place of greater authority and his servant will be healed even without Jesus' attendance. Does that make sense? So marveling at the faith of the centurion, Jesus then issues a warning and I just want us to, to read this warning and pay attention to it for a moment. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, would no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot that could be said about this. I said I'm encouraging you to go back and and spend even more time in each of these episodes. We We don't have time to unpack them exhaustively. Um but there's more of this coming in the book of Matthew. So I just wanna address it a little bit. I'd like to point out just a couple of things that we really need to pay attention to here. First, Jesus just said that he hadn't found such faith in anyone in Israel. And and then he says that, that many will come into the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Basically, he's saying that there will be many outsiders who will come to him recognizing that his power and his authority is greater than their own but there'll be a lot of insiders who won't ever put their faith in him because they won't see that they're completely lacking. Here's the thing. There really are eternal implications. There really are eternal implications. Jesus is starting to talk about it a lot more uh, as we go through the book of Matthew, and we're going to get to it even more so in a few months, in a couple months. There's eternal implications of following Jesus, and there's implications of not following Jesus, eternal implications for not following Jesus. A leader worth following, this is, a leader worth following doesn't just have authority based on brute force and demands, right? Like, a leader worth following doesn't just say, do what I say or die by my hand. Like, there's no winning in that. Not for the, not for the, the follower, But Jesus leads with an authority that is proven good and trustworthy and capable. And yet death is involved for those who don't follow follow him. But it really isn't a threat like like that of a a leader with a brute force, right? His offer to lead is an offer to lead you out of peril, not a threat to cast you into peril. That'll happen. There's eternal implications, and he's a righteous judge, His authority, his leadership, isn't a do what I say or die. It's a do what I say or die, but do what I say and come and live. It's an invitation. So obedience to his authority is an obedience, kind of, this is the only imagery I could come up with off the top of my head, I guess. So obedience to his authority is obedience in the way of taking the hand of the hero, jumping on the back of his horse, and like escaping from certain death, right? Right? Who's going to stand beside the horse and like question whether this is the right way to go? Who would buck authority in that particular situation? After this warning, Jesus does exactly what the centurion expected that Jesus could do. And Jesus demonstrates his authority by healing the servant from where he is, by just issuing the command. The question we have to ask is, do we recognize our own limitations do we believe that He has far and away more be, more ability beyond us, more authority beyond us? And do we come like the leper? Do we come like the centurion? Do we come to Him, believing that His authority is greater than ours? Whose authority are you trusting? Whose authority are you obeying? We'll just move into the last episode here in this passage. It's Matthew eight fourteen through seventeen. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. One of the things I like here, and I don't know if I should be spending time on it or not, but I like it. Uh, One of the things I like is that This is Peter's own family, right? It's in his own house. Like Jesus has come down the mountain, they've come into Capernaum, and now they're in Peter's own house. And this is with his own family. This is with his mother-in-law. And I don't know how significant it is, but I just really relate to it. I often look for Jesus to do really cool things outside of myself and outside of my house. But I'm a little hesitant to ask him to come in my house and do stuff. I think we believe, or at least I believe that the cross means Jesus has authority to heal and to cast out demons. And while that would be awesome to see, I wanna see that stuff. I don't ever ask it for myself. I'm at least very hesitant to ask it for myself because that is an entirely different level of belief. I'm not just looking to like, get him to do some sign for me so that I would believe I'm asking him to actually have authority in my life. But Jesus comes into Peter's home and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, he touches her and he heals her. And they start bringing all sorts of people to him that night. Something happens, I think, when it gets personal, right? We talked about this a little bit in our Purpose, Vision, and Mission series, that gospel saturation of the whole world will happen by gospel saturation of our own hearts. Something happens when it gets personal that seems to explode outward. Jesus walks in the house, he heals Peter's mother-in-law and then they start bringing people to him, and he starts healing them just by a word. And he's casting out demons, it's it's crazy. That has got to be a crazy scene. But moving on, Matthew uses these healings to illustrate a direct proclamation of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Quoting the servant song of Isaiah in Isaiah 53, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches that he himself has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Do you guys remember that? It's right after the Beatitudes, uh, shortly after that. Doing what he, <coughs> excuse me, that he came uh, himself to fulfill the law and the prophets. Doing what we are entirely unable to do. And now he's explicitly proving himself to be the promised Messiah and leader of his people who leads us back in the right relationship with Jesus. I mean, with God, the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. In the Great Commission, which this entire book of Matthew is leading towards, that's where it ends, right? In the Great Commission, Jesus declares to his disciples that all authority has in has been given to him in heaven. I'm sorry, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then he gives commands to go and make disciples. The authority given to Jesus by his father is toward his redemptive work of reconciling creation back into right relationship with God. His authority is to bring life to the lifeless, to heal the sickness caused by our fallenness, and to bring the dead to life. I'm hesitant here, but I'm just going to go for it. I don't know how many Walking Dead fans we have, and if I'm just going to use something from there. Uh, I hope it's not offensive to talk about a zombie show. But uh, but one thing I, I quickly realized after watching just a couple of those episodes was this. I know I'm talking about zombie apocalypse, I'm sorry. Anyways, you quickly realize that there's no joy in trying to keep the dead in their graves. There's nothing good about that. It's a pretty ugly business. But the leaders worth following in that show uh, just keep going and they draw others to follow them because they actually believe that there's life and that there's joy beyond the zombie apocalypse, right? You know what I'm talking about. The leaders worth following in that show believe that there must be something, we can get past this, that there's gonna be life again, that we're not gonna always be trying to keep dead people dead, that we're gonna be having babies and there's gonna be life again. We're gonna get back to living. I know it's fiction, I get that. But you know, Jesus really came into this really broken and dying world with authority. And he came preaching the good news through the word, through deed, through his life, his death and resurrection. That there's a great joy because he has the power to give life where there's death. I feel like there's a huge difference. And I I actually really relate to that zombie stuff because I actually think that that's what we are kind of going about here on earth. We don't actually have real dead people coming out of the graves and having to deal with that. But we spend a lot of time trying to keep what's dead dead. We just don't know it. We actually think that we're doing what Jesus is doing. But Jesus really came, and he came preaching with authority that there is great joy because he has the power to give life where there is death. That's authority. That's a big deal. Jesus confronts the world with all authority, and the authority of the world is found lacking. Jesus came confronting the world with all authority and the whole world All the authority of the world was found lacking. And I guess I just want us through this passage to ask who we're following. Who's worth following? What authority are we following? Whose authority are you acting on in the everyday stuff of life? Is Jesus an authority worth obeying? Is Jesus worth following? Is Jesus more than a good moral teacher, more than a great preacher? Is he who he proclaims he is in the the sermon on the mount and is he who he's proclaiming he is in the work that he's doing in chapter 8 when he's healing disease and he's fulfilling the prophecies in Isaiah. The truth is that the world has far more influence on each one of us than we actually realize or care to admit. But Jesus leads us into a confrontation with the influences of the world that we really can't ignore. Jesus confronts the world with all authority, and the authority of the world is found lacking. We have to do something with that. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore that we actually have no authority in in and of ourselves. Are we going to obey and act on his authority, or are we going to trust our own wisdom and feelings of spiritual insight and ignore him? Are we going to trust him? Here's just just some very specific ways, the everyday stuff of life. Are we going to trust him as the greater authority over our finances than ourselves? I know I just said money in church. I'm sorry. How does he speak into how you steward your finances? Is he allowed to have control of that? Are you trusting yourself with it or are you trusting Jesus with it? and trusting what he says? Are you trusting the word and what the Bible says? Are we going to trust him as a greater authority in who we can relate to, who we're allowed to talk to, who we're allowed to be friends with, uh, who's allowed in our house, who's not allowed in our neighborhood? Are we going to follow him into a relationship with people we would never, ever speak to on our own authority? Or are we, gonna sp- or are we going to uh, are we gonna follow him and start reaching out to people we're not supposed to touch? Are we going to be content with our little circles of friends and family who look just like us and live in neighborhoods just like ours, or are we going to reach across boundaries and limitations that we think we have because He's given, He's told us with His authority that we can reach out and touch them. He's led us by example in submitting all areas of life to His empowering presence and Lordship. Are we going to trust and follow Jesus as a greater authority than Rome? or a greater authority than the United States of America? Are we going to strategize and trust in our own wisdom? How would this authority speak into our current political anxieties? I think we need to be careful not to put words in God's mouth here just because these, we separate these issues and then we can speak one into the other and oftentimes we even would speak our political stuff into our relationship with God. How is His authority really better in this realm of politics and, and country, and how does that bear on your life? Yesterday at Converge, we made plans with our mission. If you miss Converge, you really miss something, by the way, because that was fun. It was fun. It was a lot of fun, and, and we actually got something done. I think we actually got some cool stuff done. And, and so some of us made plans with our missional communities toward focused life on mission together. We made plans to proclaim the gospel to specific people in specific places in word and deed as we go out together. And I think the question then is, are you going to actually act on those plans in his authority as sender and actually follow through? Are you going to lean into the work and the ability of the Holy Spirit as you go with the gospel on your lips? Or will we believe all the lies that are going to be thrown at you and me? as we go with the gospel as to why we shouldn't deliver the good news acting on his authority should take us beyond ourselves as we go wholly trusting him as far beyond and greater than our own understanding our own perspectives and our own abilities <coughs> Excuse me. so here's we're wrapping up here's what I want us to do this week we're going to continue chapter 8 through chapter 10 in this series of a leader worth following And the first thing we're just asking is, like, who has real authority worth following? Study these three episodes more this week and pray for God to expose and work on your own issues with submitting to His authority. That's the first thing I want you to do. Would you just set aside some time to go back and spend some time in these three episodes in chapter 8, read through them, and practice studying the Bible, and pray that God would actually deal with you on some of the areas where you have trouble submitting to his authority. And then ask the questions of whose authority you're acting on. Every week we talk about submitting all areas of life to Christ, right? And so this this week, I'm just going to ask you just to practice identifying one area of life. That's That's something we can each do. Ask the question of whose authority you're acting on in at least one area of life. Maybe it's politics, maybe it's relational boundaries, maybe it's finances, maybe it's something else. Find one area of life as you read through this prayerfully to begin to submit over to Jesus. And I would encourage you to try acting on his authority as he leads you there, right? Like try obedience, try his way over your way. See if he is who he says he is. See if he's a leader worth following. I know that he is. So I'm not really, I don't have any trouble asking you to just to try it. Just try it. You'll taste and see the Lord is good. But do that as you read and prayerfully study this passage and start questioning and ask him to question or call you into question on whose authority you're submitting to and ask him to help you deal with one area of life in particular. We're going to close. We're going to move into a time of response. Um, there's a few things that we do each week. One is the band will come back up and they'll play... Uh, some music and they lead us in a time of worship um, and so this is a time where you can reflect on, on these things and you can spend some time praying and maybe even beginning to ask God to deal with you uh, where you have trouble submitting to his authority um, and maybe this is a time where you just stand and worship him because of who he is. Another thing that we'll do is uh, we'll take offerings and tithes. There's a basket in the back. We don't pass it in front of you uh, and make a big thing of it but we do believe that this is an act of worship and that we're called. Uh, to give. And so members of Redemption Church, this is where you can give uh, your tithes and offerings as, as you are trusting Him in that area of life also. And then lastly we come down the center aisle here and we'll come either way and we'll take uh, the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice and this represents His body and His blood of Jesus. And when we do this we're not just doing a thing or going through some steps. We're remembering who Jesus says He is, what He says He's done, that he says he's our savior and that he says he's the way and that we've taken him and that we are submitting to him and we're pro- repli- we are proclaiming to one another that we believe that Jesus Christ is our savior, that Jesus Christ is the greater authority, right? Because we forget and we will fall right back into submitting to ourselves again. And so we come, we take, dip it in the wine of the and we just remember Jesus and we proclaim to one another that we're Christian, that we are followers of Christ and that we believe that he is our Lord and Savior. And so if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of Redemption Church or not, we just invite you to come and take and to, to remember him and to be reminded of him and, and proclaim it across, and proclaim it to one another in this community. And if you're not a Christian, we don't invite you up because like I said, that, we're saying that we are that. And so if you can't say that, then don't take it. Sit where you are and hear, please hear. Just as Jesus was proclaiming in the Sermon on the Mount with words, and then takes him down the mountain with action. This is an action that's meant to proclaim the gospel to you here. That Jesus has changed our life. Jesus is continuing to lead us to greater obedience, and he's giving us more joy, and he's bringing us real life. So we just ask you to hear that. If you want to talk to somebody about following Jesus, if you have any prayer requests of any sort, there'll be people at the pra- people in the back who can pray with you. They wear orange lanyards, so I encourage you to grab them and pray with them uh, during this time also. I'm going to pray for us as the band comes up. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you again just for Jesus. We thank you that that he's made a way for us to, to know you, to like talk to you, to know our Father, to know your great love for us, to know that he's led us into life and he's led us out of death. Father, I pray that just during this time of response, would would your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts to remember who you are and who that makes us, that we are children of God through Jesus Christ. I pray as we remember that, that you would stir our hearts and examine our hearts and convict us of where we haven't completely submitted our life to Jesus knowing that you're the better way, knowing that you have better things for us, knowing that you can do far more as you've confronted the world with all authority. And our authority is found lacking. I pray that you convict us of these areas and you lead us to obey and lead us to submit all areas of life to your empowering presence and lordship. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.